Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to the Kotke Ride Home for Wednesday, March 31st, 2021. I'm Jackson Bird. Why did every movie theater in the 90s install that galaxy-themed carpet? A mafia fugitive who got caught by the authorities after starting a cooking channel on YouTube. And the theory that the remains of protoplanet Theia may still be residing deep inside the Earth. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. I remember in 1997, when a new mall opened in my hometown, complete with an enormous, shiny new AMC movie theater. Unlike the one movie theater we previously had in town, this one was immersively decorated. Everything was space-themed. Signs and door handles were all curved asymmetrically in the general space-slash-60s hippie revival that was revving up in the years before the new millennium. My friends and I used to hop from planet to planet on the carpet following neon-colored comet trails with our toes. At the time, I thought the movie theater was just completely space-themed for some weird reason. But as time went on and more movie theaters opened or renovated, they all slowly adopted the same vaguely space-esque decor, to the point that it stopped being remarkable and eventually just became what movie theaters looked like in my head. While the overtly sci-fi decoration was fairly short-lived, the vestiges of it remain, especially in my personal conception of what a movie theater should look like, having been a kid when this trend exploded and then fizzled away. But what was up with this weird space-themed trend that overtook movie theaters for a brief time in the 90s? Entertainment company A24 recently dug into the phenomenon. They spoke with Dimensional Innovations, an urban planning design firm from Kansas City who worked with AMC theaters in the 90s. Tucker Trotter, Dimensional's CEO, told them, quote, A lot of the theaters we did in the 90s were heavily themed and had concepts from spaceships to jungles. It seemed on trend, end quote. And it really was. I'd forgotten how heavily themed and over-the-top so much of the going-out experience was in the 90s. The mall that opened in my hometown in 97 had a rainforest cafe, a giant Las Vegas-esque Gameworks arcade, the only Jekyll and Hyde restaurant outside of New York City, and eventually a skate park, an aquarium, and an indoor ice rink. And I didn't go to Disneyland or Universal or anything until I was an adult, and I honestly think part of why I was a bit underwhelmed when I did is because of how extravagant and similar my hometown mall was to those iconic parks. And that was kind of the point. My town's mall, which at its height people literally traveled across the state to visit, is kind of an extreme example, but overall, malls and movie theaters in the 90s wanted people to feel like they were at a theme park. 
They wanted people to have that exciting break from reality experience. Movie theaters especially had to compete with home entertainment. Going to the movies needed to feel like a completely different and special activity compared to just watching a movie at home on your sofa. And all of their various initiatives to get people to the theaters, plus some awesome mid-90s blockbusters, really worked. Quoting A24, People were going to the movies in droves, spilling their sugary drinks and melty milk duds on the floor in record numbers. There used to be tile underneath the seats, says Trotter. It made it easy to clean, but people complained about how their feet would stick to the floor. These places were dirty. And continuing from A24, Enter the carpets, ones with hectic patterns in every shade of neon known to Pantone. It's got so many different colors in it, you can spill coffee or Coke or popcorn and it won't show, Trotter says. The Dimensional Innovations team would actually dump Coca-Cola on these new carpets, let it soak in, walk all over them, and check to see if it had changed the colors. It didn't. Even black light lights wouldn't reveal the stains. It was a pretty genius design, says Trotter, still laughing. Just horrible. End quote. Horrible and gross. But you don't need the chaotic pattern of neon stars and comets and squiggles and confetti necessarily to hide spilt soda. Those particular designs go back to the desire for the fun and exciting theme park experience. Dimensional Innovations created an array of different carpet designs for movie theater owners to choose from, branded as Electra Dye, and gathered them in the Durkin Funtime Collection catalog. A24 has a few photos of different swatches and links to a site where you can still buy some of them. And of course, they weren't and aren't restricted to movie theaters. Bowling alleys, arcades, roller rinks, and sometimes even the seats of charter buses still have variations on the Electra Dye genre. And if you can spot the carpet these days, it's a pretty sure sign that the place hasn't been renovated since the 90s. Despite all of the different places they can be found, they have their origins in a brief period of transformation in cinema. As A24 says, quote, If those carpets could talk, they'd tell you a story about late 90s economics, showbiz, multiplexes, and an era of world-building that changed moviegoing as we know it, maybe more than any other. End quote. If you've ever been a part of an organized crime syndicate, maybe don't become an influencer. Mark Farin Claude Biart thought he was at least being fairly smart about it. In the Italian cooking tutorials he posted to YouTube from his hideout home in the Dominican Republic, he never showed his face. He did, however, fail to cover up his tattoos. Biart, who has been on the run from authorities since an arrest warrant was put out for him in 2014 for criminal drug trafficking on behalf of the Andrangheta's Cassiola clan, was finally arrested on Monday after his recognizable tattoos in his videos tipped off the authorities. Quoting the Washington Post, Italian law enforcement officials working with Interpol, the global police organization, have in the past decade aggressively pursued the group's affiliates, the country's biggest and most influential mafia organization. 
While film and TV depictions of the mafia have launched two other crime syndicates, Cosa Nostra in Sicily and Camorra in Naples, into international notoriety, the more quiet Andrangheta has managed to transcend both organizations in wealth and political power. With a vast network based on blood ties, the Andrangheta's reach extends from South America to Canada and across Europe, where it reportedly controls most of the cocaine market, The Atlantic reported. A 2013 study from the group's business revenue, mostly from drug trafficking and a garbage disposal operation, amounted to 3.5% of Italy's GDP. The group acts as a kind of middleman in the cocaine business, The Atlantic reported, selling to other criminal organizations while also sucking away European Union funds for agriculture and other industries and ruthlessly killing any members who make a mistake. End quote. But Viart had seemingly just been lying low and trying to stay out of the way with his wife in Boca Chica, eventually starting to make these cooking videos on YouTube in their spare time. Alas, his quiet retirement activity busted him, and Biart is now just the latest hit in Italy's recent crackdown. And sadly for us, it's unclear if the videos are still online anywhere, so if any of you find them, please do share them. I'd love to know which Italian dish in particular led to his downfall. billion years ago, a Mars-sized object collided with the Earth, and some of the resulting debris formed our moon. Or so the theory goes. That Mars-sized object is called Theia, and there have been a lot of different Theia-related hypotheses over the years. They range in how directly Theia hit the Earth, and what became of Theia and any resulting debris, and what the impacts may have been on Earth. For example, a theory emerged a few years ago that Theia actually brought all the water to Earth. Another theory has been passed around for a bit that earlier this month got some new evidence to back it up. That theory is basically that the remains of Theia are still deep inside the Earth. Quoting Science Magazine, For decades, seismologists have puzzled over these two continent-sized blobs buried deep in Earth's mantle, which sit below West Africa and the Pacific Ocean, and straddle the core like a pair of headphones. Up to a thousand kilometers tall and several times that wide, they are the largest thing in the Earth's mantle, says Qian Yun, a PhD student in geodynamics at Arizona State University Tempe, who presented the hypothesis last week at the Lunar and Planetary Science Conference. Seismic waves from earthquakes abruptly slow down when they pass through the layers, which suggests they are denser and chemically different from the surrounding mantle rock. The Large Low Shear Velocity Provinces, or LLSVPs as seismologists call them, might simply have crystallized out of the depths of Earth's primordial magma ocean, or they might be dense puddles of primitive mantle rock that survived the trauma of the moon-forming impact. But based on new isotopic evidence and modeling, Yuan believes the LLSVPs are the guts of the alien impactor itself. End quote. And from Fizz.org, quote, The team at ASU note that if Thea's mantle was denser than Earth's, any of it that made its way to the mantle would eventually work its way to the core. To back up their ideas, the team at ASU built a model depicting Earth as it was approximately 4.5 billion years ago, and then showing what could have happened if there were a collision with a planet the size of Mars, or even larger. The model also assumed that the mantle of the theorized planet Thea was rich in iron, making it extremely dense. 
In their model, Theia winds up mostly destroyed, with pieces flung into space to create the moon, and much of its mantle breaking into fragments, which make it all the way into Earth's mantle. Over billions of years, the fragments merge, forming the LLSVPs. End quote. Sujoy Mukapadai, a geochemist at the University of California, Davis, notes that we do have evidence from Iceland and Samoa that show that the LLSVPs have been around since the moon-forming impact. So Yuan's theory is plausible, but Mukapadai points to a range of other theories, like volcanoes on Iceland and Samoa with plumes of magma going all the way down to the LLSVPs. But going back to Yuan's theory, or really a theory that many have held that Yuan has just mounted the most evidence for yet, the LLSVPs account for so much mass that it's been tough to see how Theia could have only been as big as Mars, or smaller as more recent theories have held. However, recent work from Yuan's co-author, astrophysicist Stephen Desch, suggests that Theia might have been much larger, nearly as big as the Earth itself. This finding was based on measuring the ratio of hydrogen to deuterium, a heavier hydrogen isotope, in Apollo moon rocks versus Earth rocks, and finding much more comparatively lighter hydrogen in the moon rocks. And they say that to hold so much light hydrogen, Theia had to have been huge. And Yuan's modeling matches this finding, quoting again from Science Magazine, his model suggests that after the collision, Theia's core would have quickly merged with Earth's. He also probed the fate of Theia's mantle, varying Theia's size and density to see what conditions would have allowed the material to persist, rather than mixing in and sink to the mantle's base. The simulations consistently showed that mantle rocks 1.5% to 3.5% denser than Earth's would survive and end up as piles near the core. The result lined up perfectly with Desch's deuterium evidence, end quote. All that said, Paul Vusen in Science Magazine explains some caveats around this theory. First, that the LLSVPs may not actually exist at all. Quote, their pile-like structure could simply be an illusion created by models of the interior that rely on low-frequency seismic waves which blur small differences. Barbara Romanowicz, a seismologist at UC Berkeley, and Anne DeVale, a geophysicist at Paris Saclay University, suggested in a study in tectonics last year. Rather than reaching up 1,000 kilometers, the piles may rise only a few hundred kilometers before breaking off into branched plumes. There may be holes in them, Romanowicz says. They may be bundles of tubes, end quote. And if they're smaller than expected, it would be tough to back up the theory that Theia was so big. On the other hand, they might not just exist and be as massive as some think, they might also not be alone. Quoting once more, Seismologists are increasingly seeing small, ultra-dense pockets of material in the deep mantle, only a few hundred kilometers across, often near the edges of the LLSVPs. Maybe they are the sunken remnants of iron-rich cores from other miniature planets that hit early Earth, Jenkins says. Theia, in fact, might be just one grave in a planetary cemetery. End quote. Some good vaccine news today. Pfizer-BioNTech released the results of a study they conducted of just over 2,012 to 15-year-olds, absolutely none of whom who received the vaccine developed COVID-19 at all. They all developed strong antibody responses, stronger than people over 16 did, and they had no serious side effects to the vaccine. 
Now, while this sample is small, it's still super reassuring and great progress as all of the vaccine companies steadily conduct testing on children with the hopes that we can get them all vaccinated by year's end. And on the note of vaccines, because that is all I can think about since I've just been refreshing tabs nonstop trying to get a vaccine appointment myself now that I am finally eligible here in New York City. But anyways, Jason shared a great photo roundup of people all around the world getting their vaccines. It's just a real joyous thing to scroll through and kind of neat to see all the different setups and all of the incredible work being done to get vaccines to populations that need them. Link in the show notes if you want to scroll through it, you know, especially if you're starting to feel a little concerned about the spikes that we're seeing from variants and public health experts warning about a possible fourth wave. Take a minute to look through the photos and remember that while we need to stay vigilant, there definitely is much to be grateful for and hopeful about. But that is it from me for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotke.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.